So I was reading another one of these articles about how hard done by women were throughout history and then they couldn't own property and they couldn't take out loans in their own name uh, and so on. And I wanted to talk about this stuff. I've actually been in kind of a unique position to bring insight and awareness to these economic issues of men and women and so on. For those of you who don't know, back in the 90s, I co-founded and grew a software company that and I was the chief technical officer. I was the core coder for the entire system. And uh, it was designed to help public and private sector entities reduce pollution and, uh, and emissions and so on. And oh, I must have interviewed about a 1,000 people. I hired probably about 100. Some cycled through. Some stayed. And I hired mostly young men and young women. So I managed this whole process this whole team, and I have a pretty unique perspective on what it's like to work with men and women, economically speaking. So I'll talk about some of this stuff and tie it into the larger picture of what's going on in the economy. So here's the basic reality. When it comes to dedication, to focus, to ambition, to sacrifices and so on, in my experience in the workforce, men have a significant uh, edge over over women. Particularly, of course, the women who were mothers. It's just kind of a fact, right? Most of the women who had mothers had husbands who were also working. And what that meant was, in general, at least two to three days out of five during the week, the women would have to leave at, you know, 4.45 on the nose to go and get their kids from daycare or to pick them up from a relative if they were staying with a relative. Now, of course, I didn't begrudge that. I'm glad that they went to go and pick up their kids, but it just meant that there was a hard stop. Now, the young men who generally were single who worked for me were able to stay late and to stay long and were able to come out for dinner and so on. And it's not like the women weren't invited. It's just generally they had other places to go and other places, other things to do. And so, you know, we'd sit there and we'd play our Unreal Tournament and and uh, we would chat and, and so on. And we would work hard. And sometimes the work was brutal in the software industry, as you know. It, it can be, you know, very much a buy and burn mentality, which is management as well. And uh, I remember staying up for three days straight to, to finish a system. And that's just harsh. And that takes a certain amount of endurance and focus and concentration. And in general, there were... Uh, a few women who would, would work later, but in general, it was the men who finished the job when the job was that intense a thing to do. And so that's just kind of a reality, at least of what I was working with in the software field. The, the women had to leave. Now, also, of course, when you have babies, your energy during the day is diminished, right? Because you've got to be up with the kids at night, up with the babies at night, you're breastfeeding, they'll wake up and so on. And that's just going to make you tired. Like you can come into work, but you're just going to be kind of tired. And that's, you know, rough for your work. Also, when it comes to travel, right? So I did a lot of business travel in my uh, 20s and 30s. We would uh, travel uh, North America. I went to uh, to China. Uh, I went to France. Uh, just a wide variety of business travel requirements. And of course, business travel sometimes occurs at the drop of a hat. Now, if you're a young single man or single woman for that matter, then of course you can kind of drop everything and 
you know, fly off to Paris to, or, or Houston for a business trip. If you have kids, well, uh, you've got childcare responsibilities and you can say, well, but the husband should be able to do X, Y, and Z and so on. But here's the thing is that these women in general, because of hypergamy, which is the desire to uh, marry up, then what they do is they marry a man who makes more than they do. That was generally the case, as far as I knew. I didn't obviously probe too much, but where it came up in conversation, the women would marry men who made more than they did, in which case it made less sense for the man to restrict his career for the sake of childcare, right? So that's just the reality, that if you're going to marry a man who makes more than you, it doesn't make much sense for him to take the brunt of the childcare so that you can make less and bring home less and so on. And so when it came to travel, the young men uh, were available to go and uh, travel, and the young women very often, if they had kids, they often weren't. And that's just kind of reality. Now, travel is one of these things like executives in companies have spent, you know, 20 years living on airplanes. It just takes a certain amount of, of travel, and, and you've got to go see the customers. You know, if, if you're just working with a screen, it's about typing and coding and, 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 and specs and bug fixing and so on. But you don't necessarily actually go and see the customers whose problems you're solving and, and meet them face to face and know what their issues are, understand their business. Like I used to go on tours of uh, factories, right? So that I really dug into and understood the problems that our software was trying to help companies uh, solve, which is why they were willing to pay sometimes a million dollars for the code that I had written, well, the core code that I had written, obviously, um, many other people uh, helped helped out with the um, uh, with the, with the extras. But I would go on on tours of manufacturing facilities. Uh, I would go on tours of uh, 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 mining facilities, and you, you name it. I mean, I, I really had to understand the businesses that we were solving, and and so just going out there just makes you more seasoned, makes you more understanding and and gets you those face-to-face relationships that really are the foundation of successful business partnerships. And because we weren't a sort of fire and forget, but continual process of maintaining software, we needed to have good relationships. So that inability or unwillingness or lack of capacity to travel for a lot of the women was just an issue. It meant that, you know, if you want to go travel, well, you got to go, right? Uh, And uh, that's a challenge as well. So... When it came to working late, working nights, working weekends, and so on, in general, there were exceptions, right? I'm just talking in general. But in general, it would be the men who were working late uh, and working weekends, and the women had to leave. And the women would sometimes come in maybe on a Saturday for a little bit. But in general, especially once they had kids, I mean, they had responsibilities. And, of course, those are very real responsibilities. I respect those responsibilities. Those responsibilities are very important, and I don't begrudge it one bit as a human being. But as a business owner, there's a difference in value with people who can work late and people who can drop everything and go on an emergency business trip because a client is upset about something. There's just a difference in the value for the employer. Because it's a funny thing that people don't generally understand, right? They think they think that it's the boss who pays the wages, right? They think that uh, they, they go to their boss and they say, I want to raise, and the boss, you know, says yes or says no or whatever. But they think that it's the boss who pays the wages. That's not the case. The boss is merely the conduit for the wages. It is the customer who pays the wages of the employee because it's not like it doesn't come out of the boss's own pocket. He doesn't break open his piggyback or look under his couch cushions in order to give you a raise. 
he is passing along the value that the customer perceives you to have. Now, of course, the customer may not know you from Adam. They may not know you directly. But, you know, if, if you're in quality control, quality assurance, like bug whacking, then the customer's preference for no bugs is what pays your salary. And the customer's preference for you versus other people, uh, it's, you know, the studios don't pay Brad Pitt's salary, right? Or, or Chris Pratt's salary. That They're paid, the salaries for those guys are paid for by the audience, right? So it's the audience who values those people. The the um, the movie studios are just passing along the audience preferences and so on, right? So it's not whether men or women are valued more by bosses. It's whether men or women are valued more, on average, again, tons of exceptions, on average by customers. And that's something that's kind of tricky to to understand. Now, when it comes to uh, a young woman comes in and, and you hire her and then she gets married and then she gets pregnant, right? So in general, what you have to do is you have to let that woman go on maternity leave and that can be depending on where you are. I, I think we're around where we are. It was about a year, up to a year that you had to hold this woman's job open, right? Now that's that's a challenge, right? That's a challenge. The more complicated the job, the tough it is to keep it open while a woman is on maternity leave, right? So to take a sort of silly example, if it's a maid, right, well, can you find someone who can clean and tidy a place? It's not too complicated, and it's not hard to train that person, and it's fairly easy to get them up to speed in what it is that they need to do, right? But if it's a complicated, you know, you're managing four projects with very high-level business people and the projects are all complicated and so on, and then the woman goes on maternity leave, what do you have to do? Well, you have to find someone who's going to take over those projects. You're going to have to spend a long time training that person who's going to take over those projects. And then you usually have to fly out with that person to meet the customers so that they've got a face-to-face and, and a person-to-person interaction, which generally smooths out a lot of conflicts. As a lot of conflicts can be prevented or resolved easier if you have a real sense of the person across from you. That's why the internet can get so crappy, right? It's all anonymous and, and uh, very much beyond arm's length. Civility is proximity, in, in other words. So it, it's very expensive. Now, here's the challenge, right? So you have to hold that high-level, complicated position open. You have got to train someone new. But the question is, let's say it's project management. So who is really, really good at project management? Well, you obviously want the top 5% or 10% of people who are in project management because you need them to get up to speed really, really quickly and you need them to be experienced and, and so on, right? But here's the problem. The problem is if you hire someone to be a project manager for somebody who's on maternity leave, well, the maternity leave might be three months, might be six months, could be 12 months, could be longer for all. I mean, they may decide to go beyond uh, the um, sort of taxpayer-supported maximum. But here's the thing. If you're really, really good at project management, you don't want to go for, into some temporary job, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months or more. You, you want a career. You want something that you can build, Right. In other words, you don't want to be a placeholder for someone. Oh, do this person's job until she comes back from maternity leave, and then what? Well, if the business has grown, maybe there's another place for you. But if it hasn't, then it's got to be a temporary contract, which is very expensive in terms of 
uh, your immediate cash flow. And uh, again, the best people who are the most needed for those kind of stopgap jobs don't want those jobs because they have the skills capacity to build a real career. So it is a big, big challenge. Now, of course, it could be the case that you hire a young man and, and he gets married and then he has a child and he decides to take paternity leave and, and maybe he comes back, maybe he doesn't. But that's very rare for, again, the uh, obvious reasons that most women like to marry a man who makes more and therefore in terms of income it doesn't make much sense for the man to go on paternity leave rather than the woman to go on maternity leave, not to mention, of course, breastfeeding and, and all of that kind of stuff that's it can't be done by by men, right? So that's a big challenge. Now, if you sort of look back to the 60s, these financial realities that women like to get married and like to have a babies, and then they like to take time off to be with those babies. And when they take that time off to be with those babies, they may then want another baby, right? Because, you know, a woman could have two, three, four babies, and it's really tough to keep jobs open for that long. So what happened was there was a discount on the expense of hiring and training a woman who might then go on maternity leave, who's going to have kids, who's going to be unable to travel, it's going to be difficult for her to work late and so on. So there was a discount applied to that, which, of course, women said was unfair. Like, why is this guy making a dollar and I'm making 70 cents on his dollar? Well, in, in particular industries, right? Well, that's a challenge, right? So you need people to go above and beyond the call of duty, particularly in a, uh, a smaller business, right? How do smaller businesses compete with bigger businesses? Well, they compete on price, agility, on flexibility, and on basically a rather insane work commitment that is driven by ambition. And, uh, you know, if you give employees points in the company, then they have that incentive for when the stock goes uh, public and so on. So there is a sort of a feverish, uh, fast mammal, slow dinosaurs approach, which is the only reason why a small company can compete against a big company. So you just, you need that level of commitment as a small business. Uh, you just, you just do, right? So if more men than women are willing slash able to provide that commitment, then you have a challenge, right? So the challenge is this, that if the women are leaving at five o'clock and the men are willing to stay later, again, talking averages, but, and again, none of this has anything to do, everybody should be equal under the law and women should have access to all the same opportunities. And, and I'm a full egalitarian when it comes to uh, the law and so on. But just we're talking practicalities of, of economics and, and what is needed for a company to uh, survive and thrive. So if the man is working uh, overtime, if the man is doing a lot of business travel, which is kind of fun at the beginning, and then you just spend your time being exhausted and wondering why everybody makes taps so complicated for your showers. So... Then you get jet lagged and, and, and it's, and of course, while you're away these days as well, I mean, when you're traveling, you still have work to do. Um, you still get your emails and, and it's, it's work plus. So, so the men, if they're, if you're saying, well, you know, we're all going to work overtime and let's say the majority of men are willing to stay, but some percentage of women have to leave, right? They've got to go get their kids from daycare and, 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 or maybe after school programs or whatever, then what happens is the men say, 
why am I being paid the same as a woman if I'm working more hours a year? It's a fair, it's a very, very fair question. It is fair, right? I mean, this communist egalitarian thing where everyone gets paid the same no matter what, that's not, well, we understand that all destroys incentives and so on, right? And, and just a basic sense of, of fairness. And human beings are very hardwired to, to look for fairness and to make sure fairness is, is occurring. I mean, we're basically like a bunch of piglets trying to get at the mom's, uh, the sow's nipples, right? We're all scrambling to get in there, so it makes everything's fair. And so if the man is being paid the same as the woman, but the man is working more hours, then what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is the man is going to say, well, I don't really want to work these extra hours because I'm getting paid the same if this extra work needs to be done, then you just need to hire more people, right? And that's also a challenge because then your overhead goes up and, and, you know, one of the things that happens with small companies is you stay lean and close to the ground and, and you substitute hopefully efficiency, concentration, and to some degree brutal Protestant work ethic for some of the larger, sludgier, overhead, heavy bureaucracies of the larger companies. And... So, yeah, the men are sitting there saying, ah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm working nights, I'm working weekends, I'm traveling, and, and some of these women aren't doing that, so it's kind of unfair. Now, you can't then say, because it's illegal, right, to, to have two particular positions and pay the woman less than the man. Again, although the woman is likely, if she's young, uh, she's going to get married, she's going to have kids, she's going to have maternity leave, you've got to pay for someone to cover her job, which is complicated. It's additional training and travel and expense and overhead and blah, 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 right? So it's illegal to pay the woman less than the man. So what happens is you can't increase the salary of the woman to match what you would pay the man for, for overtime or whatever. So what happens generally is you just, the man scales back his his work, right? And And if you say, to people, you know, well, we're going to need to work late, and then, you know, half the women have to get up and go pick up their kids, then the men are like, you know, I can't tonight, man, I'm sorry, blah, 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 right? And that's that's fair, of course, you can't force people to work, and you shouldn't, of course, but that is sort of a reality that men scale back their commitment to match the lowest common denominator, right? Which is why, under socialism, people don't work very hard, because you don't get any additional benefits for working harder. So, again... Understanding that the business is simply the flow-through mechanism for the customer to pay the employees based upon the value that the employees provide the customer. Well, employee who's willing to work late, who's willing to to travel, come in on weekends or whatever, that person is worth more to the customer, right? They provide more value to the customer. So that's just one of these basic realities. So the question, of course, is given that this stuff is not super complicated – it seems odd, and it's a sort of important question to say, okay, well, why, why, oh, why were all these laws put in to sort of force all of this equal pay for work of equal value? Which, again, value is subjective. There's no such thing as objective value. Like a guy in the desert might pay $1,000 for a bottle of water unless he's there to kill himself, in which case he won't. Value is is no objective measure of of value, which is why you need a free market, not a bureaucracy, right? Bureaucracy, central planning, all this government infrastructure pretends that there's some objective thing called value when there isn't. 
I mean, there just isn't. Uh, another way of saying it, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, value is in the eye of the beholder, or there's no accounting for taste. There's no accounting for for taste, right? Somebody really, need, what is the value of insulin? Well, to one person, it may, somebody who's diabetic, it's very high. Somebody who's not diabetic, it's, it's very low, unless they're buying it for someone who's diabetic. So this idea of equal pay for work of equal value, you had to create this story to promote this legislation. And again, we're talking more than half a century ago in many places. You have to create this story. And the story is that men don't value women and men cheat women by underpaying them, right? And men are sexist and, and so on, right? And, I mean, you see all of this. I mean, this is the sort of Dolly Parton movie 9 to 5 where uh, there's all these cliches. Oh, it's the women who really run the office and uh, the men just don't appreciate them and, and all this kind of stuff. And this is um, it's a very sort of common um, trope or, or cliche, right? Like the, the, the man who's like, well, I, you know, she's way out of my league, but I, she just hasn't figured that out yet. Like it's all this self-deprecating Regis Philbin stuff that, that goes on in the economy and so on. This idea that women are really running things and men are just idiots who um, you know, sort of follow them around. It's sort of working girl, Melanie Griffith stuff. But what what happens is you have to create this whole story about how men just don't value women, men are sexist, men don't appreciate women, and therefore the government has to step in and force men to pay women what they're what they're worth, right? Now, of course, the idea that men are greedy and want to, the bosses and male bosses are greedy and want to pay women, uh, uh, want, want to pay everyone as little as humanly possible and, and all of that. Well, of course, you don't solve that with the government because the government is composed of, well, quite a few men as well. Like every problem that you put on the free market, you put infinitely greater on the government, right? So, oh, men are sexist. They, they undervalue. They, they, they cheat. They, they want to underpay. It's like, well, okay, those men are in the government. You have to create this magical divide of people in the free market are evil and people in the government are good. I mean, whatever you say about human nature, you say about everyone in the government as well. This is one of the foundational. You, know, the, you need government to control rapacious monopolies. Oh, so you're saying that if people have a monopoly they then become corrupt and rapacious. It's, well, the government is a monopoly, so you haven't solved the problem. Uh, well, we need a coercive monopoly to a violent monopoly in order to manage the negative effects of a voluntary monopoly. In other words, people who just like having the Walmart in the town because it's cheaper and easier and more environmentally friendly because you don't have to drive to store to store to get the better deals and so on. So you have to create this whole myth of the rapacious capitalists who like underpaying women. Now, of course... If women were producing a dollar, just I'm going to simplify it and take out the profit and all. Just if women are producing a dollar of value, but men are only paying them fifty cents, then of course it makes sense to pay them fifty-five cents or sixty cents to woo the women over from men who are underpaying them, so that the women will work at your organization, produce all this value, and so on. And so, yeah, all these people who complain that women are underpaid and so on, well, everyone's underpaid. I'm underpaid, you're underpaid, everyone feels underpaid. That's called ambition, right? <laughs> which is the desire for more, which is why we're not in the caves anymore. And so you have to create this whole myth. And then you have to have this big giant government power to solve it. So the question is, why? Why would this be so necessary? Well, there's a wide variety of reasons for that. First, of course, if let's just say that the free market were to reappear. I mean, it's going to sooner or later because the existing system can't 
survive um, probably not for much longer. But let's say that the free market appears tomorrow. Then what happens is the subsidies that prop up the value of women in the workforce um, will, will largely vanish, right? Everyone who says women are underpaid should not be writing about this. Like if you knew that there was some stock that was going to go up enormously in value, you probably wouldn't tell a bunch of people because you'd want to buy it for yourself, right? And so if women are, quote, underpaid, then instead of writing about it and complaining about it and doing seminars on it and creating courses on it in universities, what you do is you start a business, you go out and hire a whole bunch of women and make a fortune, right? Because they're producing value, but they're underpaid. Therefore, they're an undervalued asset in the marketplace. So you want to snap up undervalued assets in the labor marketplace as surely as you would in the stock market. And so you would just go make a fortune, but People complain about it, but they don't do that, right? They don't go out and hire a bunch of women so that they can make a fortune because the world in the free market is fairer than you think. It's fairer than you think because everyone's seeking advantage. And if there's an advantage to hiring women, people will hire women. And if there's not, then there's going to be that challenge. So if you take away all these supports for women in the workforce, what's, what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is women are going to look and say, okay, well, I'm not going to make that much in the workforce because i probably going to want to get married and have kids, or if I am married, I'm probably going to want kids. So I'm not going to make that much in the workforce. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to choose a man who could really provide. I'm going to depend on that man just as he depends upon me. And I'm going to go have some kids. Right. Whereas if the government forces women's wages to be artificially high, then women will be drawn into the workforce particularly in the public sector where they could just make up their own supply and demand as, as much as they want and be as politically correct as they want and they don't have profit motives, uh, profit incentives to deal with this. So women would evaluate their options and say, well, uh, motherhood is, is preferable to work, right? Now, the problem, of course, is that when you get women, a problem for big government, right? When you get women to depend upon men, married women, then married women already have a provider called a husband, married mothers, they already have a provider and that provider is called a husband. And so what those married women don't want is bigger government, more welfare and higher taxes because they're relying upon a man to provide their income. And if the government increases the taxes on their husband, then that's less money available for her family, right? That's clear, right? Whereas if you provide all of these artificial subsidies to raise the price of women or the wages of women in the workforce, then they'll say, okay, well, I'm going to go work, right? So make a lot of money. I go vacation. I can have a lot of fun and all that. And so they don't rely upon men. They don't have a provider. And so they're less hostile to higher taxes. And this is borne out by the data, right? Single women vote generally for bigger government, married women vote for smaller government, or at least vote to try and restrain the growth of larger government. Now, of course, you could say, well, but uh, uh, these, these women, uh, they, um, uh, the women who work, well, they're voting for larger taxes on themselves. And it's like, well, that's kind of true, except women do make less than men. So in general, it's going to be the men who are going to pay the higher taxes more. Uh, and also, of course, women have this golden card of, well, you know, I'll just, I'll marry a man and he can take care of me, right? Which is not something that most men have in their, I guess, literally back pockets and so on. So 
if you can get women to go into the workforce and you don't like the culture, like if you dislike the culture, let's just say America, right? So if you can get women to go into the workforce, then those women are going to be more likely to vote for larger government because they're not going to have a husband to take care of them as much. They're not going to have kids uh, who are going to take care of them in their old age uh, and uh, and so on, right? So, I mean, if, if you if you have a husband, you take out a life insurance policy. If he dies early, you get huge amount of money often and and that's going to take care of you if you're a single woman do you take out life insurance on yourself well not really because if you're dead probably not going to be that valuable to you right if you um uh if you have kids and and you're a good mom uh, then when you get older your kids will take care of you 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 can live with them they'll pay your bills and so you don't need the old age pensions as much and so on so you get how all of this works if you can fragment the family by luring women into the workforce with artificially high wages, then you prevent a lot of women from ending up dependent upon a man and therefore dependent upon his value in the free market and his income, which is directly harmed by increased taxes. So if you want to grow the government, you got to keep women away from dependence upon men. Now, of course, the other thing is that if you say to women, as is so consistently said to women and has been since the late 1950s, since little Betty Friedan and so on, if you say to women that being a wife and a mother is bovine, is dumb, is for idiots, it's white trash, it's, you know, you're just, you're, they used to call this a click moment, right? You'd be driving your kids uh, from one place to another and you'd be like, I can do more than this, I should be better than this, I should be bigger than this, I shouldn't just be a chauffeur. Now, the idea, of course, that motherhood is being some kind of chauffeur is like saying that, you know, cooking for your child just turns you into a short order cook and therefore you should only be paid minimum wage. It's like the 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 practical chores involved in parenting are the least relevant and important aspect of parenting. They are replaceable by other people, but the parenting itself is not, right? So the question is, why are you driving your kids to some, let's say you're driving them to, I don't know, hockey practice or something. Why is it that you're feeling like you're not engaged and you should be doing more? Well, because you're not having great conversations with your kids. You're not chatting with them and asking. It's so much fun to chat with your kids. Uh, I just released a video for Father's Day called How Not to Analyze Billie Eilish Songs because I want people to understand just how much fun you can have uh, chatting and playing with your kids. And so it's bad moms, dissociated moms, resentful moms who have this click moment where like, I should be more than a chauffeur. It's like, yeah. You should be more than a chauffeur. You should be a mom, which means being close and connected and chatting uh, with your kids and all that. So, yeah, bad bad moms want to flee to the workforce rather than become better moms. I get it. But if you can lure all these women to the workforce by artificially raising their wages, well, then the smartest among women are going to be pretty susceptible to this. And, of course, what you do is, is you then endlessly portray parenthood as a hassle. Uh, you know, screaming kids and 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 poopy diapers and uh, all that kind of stuff, and then you portray all of these cool professional women in these you know with elegant settings and uh, all this devil wears Prada, devil wears pra- uh, Prada, Prada, Pravda. I'm thinking Pravda. No, it's Prada. Prada is the fashion. Pravda is uh, the mainstream media. So you show all these cool women with their immaculate places, their high heels, and and clicking down the hallways and and having uh, wine and and powerful breakfast meetings and you you make it look as cool as humanly possible and then you have some you know slovenly spit up wearing mom who's harassed and her hair is a mess and right this is sadly just 
what works on on people in particular is the the, the prettiest person with the best hair uh, generally wins the <laughs> philosophical argument. So if you can lure smart women into the workforce with, again, artificially high wages, then they're going to have fewer, if any, children. Hmm. Fewer, if any, children. Now, that's very interesting because uh, there's arguments that say that uh, intelligence, right, which is significantly genetic, is passed a little bit more down through the maternal line. So if you can get smart women into the workforce, they're going to have fewer kids, which means that the population is going to get dumped down over time, on average. And it may not be big, but, you know, small small increments are, uh, you know, how's that old saying about the rich guy who ended up in bankruptcy court and people said, man, you were so rich, how did you become bankrupt? He said, very slowly and then very quickly. And that's how this dumbing down works, right? So if you hate the culture and you want to grow government, right, if you're on the left, you're socialist, communist, whatever, democratic socialist, whatever that means, Slow motion car crash is still a car crash. But um, yeah, you want to say, well, men are, you want to sow distrust between the genders, right? You want to say to women, oh, men are just exploitive and, and it's rapey and there's rape culture and so on. And that way women will say, well, I can't rely on a man. So I better rely on the government. And that means higher taxes are fine, right? Because you're going to get more out of it than you pay. And women get more out, according to some studies, particularly in New Zealand, women get much more out of the tax system than they pay in, and men get much less out of the tax system than they pay in, right? So, um, so yeah, you'll, you'll dumb down the population by convincing smart women to have fewer children. Not directly, but of course you can say, well, the environment and, and blah, 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 right? Of course, if you're concerned about people having more children, then foreign aid is a terrible idea, right? The birth rate in Africa is like five plus kids per, per woman sometimes, right? But it's not about that. It's about uh, harming the the culture uh, that you're in. So, yeah, these are just some sort of basic realities that, you know, so women couldn't take out loans in their husband's name. It's like, well, sure, because women were home having children, half of whom died, and therefore it was very tough to maintain the population. So, yes, of course you don't want a woman going out when she doesn't have an income and plotting vengeance against her husband for whatever reason by taking out a big loan in without his approval. Of course, right? I mean, <laughs> try being a husband and saying to your wife, I'm going to repaint the house and recarpet it, and I'm not going to consult you. Yeah, good luck with that, right? So, yes, the woman couldn't take out big loans because she didn't have an income. And women can be mean and vicious just as men can be, right? So this is another aspect, right? Like, I mean, in terms of control over female sexuality, uh, men, uh, it's incredibly disastrous for a man emotionally, financially, genetically to raise a child who's not his own without him knowing, right? A woman always, this is uh, Strindberg, I said, had a whole play about this where a woman always knows the child is his, the man doesn't always know that the child is his and, and, and virtually is never absolutely certain. And so that's just another reality that men had to deal with, that a cuckold was a terrible thing to be emotionally and financially and genetically, as I said. So, yeah, control over female sexuality when women could sleep around and, and pass off a child, particularly in a monoculture. It's tougher in diversity cultures if the woman's sleeping with another race, but um, a member of another race. So, yeah, these were just all basic realities that anybody who's run a business and hired men and women just kind of has to deal with. Now, of course, we always obeyed the law and what I was doing and, and so on. And this is long before I was awoken to these sort of issues. But, yeah, those are the significant challenges. And one of the big slowdowns in the economy 
is that a lot of resources are being diverted into propping up women's wages. And that means, of course, a lower birth rate. And that means uh, underproductivity as a whole. Because men just aren't going to keep working hard if the women are all heading home or heading on a mat leave and so on. And if men aren't paid more for harder work, well, we know this from communism, they just won't work harder. And then by giving excess resources, I think unjustly economically to women, we end up with nothing for anyone. And that's a pretty hard reset, which we're probably going to be facing in the not too distant future. But it's important to be aware of why this is happening. Thank you so much for listening and for watching. Please, please, if you find these shows valuable, thought-provoking, stimulating, perhaps even on the courageous side of things, please, please help out the show at freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. As you can see, I don't take ads. Uh, It is all reliant upon you to keep this conversation going. freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Thank you, my friends. I'll talk to you soon.